0: 80s Wrestling Con's virtual signing series, Monday Night Virtual, welcomes pro wrestling legend, the Russian Nightmare, Nikita Koloff This Monday, May 24th, you can catch all the action live on their Facebook page from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern Time. And you can head over to 80sWrestlingCon.com and pick yourself up a photo to be signed live by Nikita Again, that's 80sWrestlingCon.com. Ladies and gentlemen, just like every day, today is a great day to talk 80s wrestling. Welcome back to 80s Wrestling, the podcast. My name is jumping Jay and as always I'm joined by the New Jersey nightmare, Tommy Fierro.
1: <laughs> the New Jersey
0: nightmare, huh? That's a good one, right?
1: Yeah, I guess that is a good one, man. It
0: is a good uh, one. Very fitting for the signing that you have coming up
1: in just what, four days? Yeah, man. We have uh we have Nikita Koloff this Monday night for our next live virtual signing. Uh, You can uh, head over to our website, 80swrestlingcon.com now. Select a photo that you'd like Nikita to sign, and then you can watch Monday Night Live on our Facebook page. I'll sign up for you, give you a shout-out, and then we'll uh, ship the picture out to you following the signing. We had uh, just uh, Rowan and Darren Young this past Monday. A lot of new eyes on our signing uh, for this Monday. Some of the newer generation fans were watching as you know, primarily we, we just do 80s wrestlers, but we're trying to switch it up a little bit, which would be you know fitting since we relabeled it Monday Night Virtual, so you don't have to have just 80s guys. So we had those guys this past Monday, and this Monday is Nikita. we got a ton coming up. I'm sure we'll talk about it later in the episode and throughout the weeks, but today is a very, very, very special episode of 80s Wrestling, the podcast, because today, as we're filming uh filming this taping this on um, may the 20th this is the 10 year anniversary of the passing of randy macho man savage and obviously he was one of my favorites growing up as a kid i'm sure he's one of your favorites today and i'm sure the majority of people listening to this podcast right now because they are 80s wrestling fans was a huge fan of the macho man and what better of an episode to do than to cover probably Randy's greatest moment ever in wrestling and that is Wrestlemania 4. We're going to talk about the entire show uh, leading up to Randy Savage becoming the World Wrestling Federation champion for the very first time. One of my favorite Wrestlemanias ever, Jay. How about you? It's one of those that is iconic just because
0: of the way they structured it you know we're coming off of Wrestlemania 3 which a lot of people hold up as the Wrestlemania it was insanely well received high ratings had a tremendous main event uh had what some people consider to be the greatest Wrestlemania match of all time speaking of Randy Savage and so WWF had to switch it up had to do something big to follow up Wrestlemania 3 and they came up with this one-night 14-man single-elimination single tournament for the heavyweight championship. So it was a real unique feel to it, very memorable. And so I can't wait to jump in and break it down with you.
1: Yeah, man, me too. And, and uh, I can't believe it's been 10 years already since the Macho Man has passed away. I remember where I was when it when it happened, and uh, you know I was at work, and and the TV was on at work, and it came up uh, on the bottom of the Uh, I I forgot what news channel we had. I went on one of them and just going, scrolling across the bottom of the uh, TV saying that pro wrestler Randy I mean Savage passed away. And I was, man, I was, I was floored. And I'm sure you were, and I'm sure everybody else was because that is part of your childhood. You know, you, you hear of, you know, actors dying and, you know, people, you know, dying. And and, and of course you're sad and you feel bad, Uh, but someone like him, man, and it happened for him and it happened for, uh, Roddy Piper too when Piper passed away like it's like you almost take it personally because they were such a huge part of your life growing up as a kid you you almost feel like you lost a family member I know that sounds weird but you know what I'm saying no I I,
0: I totally get what you're saying It's it's one of these things where
1: you grow up
0: watching these guys on a weekly basis you have action figures you have posters you have trading cards and so even though you don't know them on a personal level you feel like you know them they are part of your extended your your family and pro wrestlers to kids when we were growing up these guys seemed invincible they seemed like nothing could hurt them they seemed like they would live forever and so unfortunately it's a it's a reality and a feeling that wrestling fans have become all too familiar with learning of the passing of their childhood idols but somebody like randy That one seemed to come out of nowhere. And so just like you, I remember where I was. I remember how I felt and I didn't believe it right away. I didn't want to believe it, but then, you know, it gets confirmed that indeed he did pass. And yeah, time is a funny thing because I would not have guessed that that was 10 years already. 10 years has passed uh, since Macho Man's death. Time is a funny thing.
1: Yeah, man. It's, it's crazy. It's been 10 years. I, I can remember it like it was yesterday and I, I thought we we both thought that this would be a fitting episode for this week's edition of Eighties Wrestling the podcast. If we talked just about the career of Randy Savage, we literally would have to do several podcasts to cover, you know, the the career he had and all the you know the big matches and big angles and storylines. But I know that I've been wanting to do WrestleMania four for a while. I know I talked to Jay about it in the past as well. So we thought this would be the perfect episode to do it because it was. Uh, the the show and the pay-per-view and the event that, you know, caterpillar Randy Savage to the very top of the company, and it was a very unique pay-per-view. Like you said, it was coming off of WrestleMania 3, which was the biggest attendance ever with Hogan and Andre, and, and the working plan was to have a rematch with those guys, in which they did in WrestleMania 4. They, they got a buy-in the first round of the tournament. And uh, in the second round, when it was Andre and Hogan, they actually went to a double disqualification, which led to both of those guys being eliminated. We'll, 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 you know, run down the whole tournament in a minute. But uh, other matches on that show as well that are are uh, significant was the battle royal that actually opened up WrestleMania Four. If you remember, this was the moment where they turned Brett the Hitman Hart Babyface. You know, he was in there with Bad News Brown to the end, and then Bad News Brown turned on him and uh, eliminated Brett. And this was the start of Brett Hart uh, becoming a, you know, a good guy and the, the start of his push for his singles career. So that's that's a pretty important part of WrestleMania 4 as well, Jay.
0: It is. And, you know, in the history of the World Wrestling Federation, Bret the Hitman Hart is one of those guys that you just have to mention is one of the the greatest performers, in-ring performers of all time. And I liken his face turn to similar to kind of Randy Savage's as long as we're talking about Savage in the way that as a heel fans are starting to get behind these people. You know, fans recognize great talent when it's there, whether it's a heel guy or a, or a face guy. And so I'm guessing it's one of these situations where the higher-ups felt the crowd kind of getting behind the Brit, the hitman Hart and saw the potential in his abilities and knew that he's someone that could have great matches with just about anybody. And so they're faced with the, the, uh, the idea of having to turn him, turn him face. And, so, and from here, I mean, he stays on a face run for the rest of his world wrestling federation career until you get to like the attitude era where he does that weird, I'm a face in Canada, but I'm a heel everywhere else around the world. But what a run the Hitman had. And you could argue that it started
1: here at WrestleMania four. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And obviously the company saw something in him to, uh, to to, to give him that singles run. And and obviously the right went on to be one of the greatest of all time. WrestleMania Four took place in Atlantic City, the home building of former President Trump. And obviously, they would return the next year there as well. First time ever that there was back-to-back WrestleManias in the same location. This one was, was unique. I, 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 I've been there before to that building, Jay. I, I've seen wrestling there before uh, throughout the years. And it's a small venue. But WWF made that small venue look so big on the way they filmed it. There's that entrance way, how they did that. I, first of all, I love that entrance way. The way you know, they had to walk down all those stairs to get there with the, with the, with the uh, entrance on the top like that with the WWF logo on top of it. I love that entrance. I thought that was really cool. I love the way that they, uh, they filmed it because they made the building look so big. In actuality, it, it's, it's a small building. Uh, but the way they shot it made it look big, but it was such a huge difference from the, the previous year's WrestleMania, which had 93,000 people it was in a huge, you know, stadium. Um, but it it was, it was the way they shot it. It just looked cool to me. I, I just, I just, I, I'm looking at it differently because I've been to that building before and I know what it looks like and it looks so much different the way they, they filmed it. How, how did it come across to you? As as a as a kid growing up, obviously you just saw WrestleMania three in front of you know all these people. And the WrestleMania four is in a much smaller building, but uh, the way they shot it was pretty cool. What was your thought of how they did like the entranceway and stuff like that?
0: The entranceway is iconic. That that like you said, coming down right by that logo and then what seemed to be a very long walk to the ring. As a kid, you don't really pick up on the size of an arena. I would have never guessed it was so much smaller. Than the year before, like you said, WrestleMania three, 93,000 fans, WrestleMania four, 19,000 fans. So like a dramatic shift in numbers, but it didn't come across as a smaller pay-per-view to the viewing fan uh, on the television screen side of it. Uh, Kind of a unique perspective that you were actually in the building and you got to see it and kind of get a feel for it. But on TV, it came across just like any other pay-per-view. It felt like a big deal. Yeah,
1: definitely, man. And uh I guess we can start off by uh you know we'll start off by talking about the the opening match which was the Battle Royal uh for WrestleMania 4 it was bad news brown winning the Battle Royal defeating uh Brett the Hitman Hart as, as the final contestant in there what what are uh what are some of your memories of that Battle Royal Jay because there was a lot of people in this Battle Royal that you would never even remember were in a uh WrestleMania like uh uh, the young stallions, Paul Roma and Jim Powers, they were in that battle royal. If you if you were a diehard, you know historian that that knows everything, you would never have thought that Paul Roma and Jim Powers were were in a, a battle royal. Uh, Sam Houston uh, was in that battle royal, so uh, you would never would have thought that Sam Houston was in a WrestleMania. The same thing for Sika. Sika was in that battle royal as well. So there were some names in that battle royal that. Had a WrestleMania match that you never would have remembered had one with those guys, and uh, Junkyard Dog was also in that battle royal. He he uh, he's someone that was hidden in there that I I I don't even remember that he was in there really. So I just I just looking at the the lineup of people that were there. I'm
0: a huge fan of the battle royal type match, and I think if you're going to start off a big time pay per view that's a great first match because the crowd's going to be into it because they're seeing not just a singles match, not just two participants, but like you said, they're seeing, you know, 20 people come out for this battle Royal and some of those wrestlers that you mentioned, they probably wouldn't get a singles match on a WrestleMania card that year. And so it's a great opportunity for them to get on the card, to get a WrestleMania payday for fans to see them, and that's a match that's going to excite people. Right out of the gate, you get 20 people in an over-the-top battle royal. I mean, people are going to be into that. And so I love that that's what they chose to start this big event with.
1: Absolutely, man. And, 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 and just to list the, the names that were in that battle royal, I, I just mentioned some of them. Uh, Boris Zukov, Nikolai Vokov, the Killer Bees, Danny Davis, George Stale, Harley Race, Silverly Jim, the Rousseau Brothers um Young Stallions, Kempetera, uh, Ron Bass was in there. That's another one that a name that you you don't think of when you think of WrestleMania. Ron Bass was in there as well. So there were some significant names from that time frame that never had a, a chance to be a part of a WrestleMania that got to uh thanks to that Battle Royal. So I'm actually gonna probably go back and watch that Battle Royal just to to. Uh, to, to relive some of that, because I don't remember some of these guys that were even in there. This is the first time I've, I'm, I'm I'm reading this. I, I haven't watched WrestleMania 4 in a while, so definitely want to go back and check that out. Uh, next up started the first round of the WrestleMania 4 title tournament. The opening match was Jim Duggan against the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase. Five minutes and two seconds, and uh, Ted DiBiase picks up the win here. Uh, Jim Duggan was just coming up in his own at that time as as being a hot new, uh, well he wasn't really new he was he was there for a year at this point but I mean as far as like climbing the ladder as one of the top baby faces in the company, uh, Teddy Biasi obviously you know red hot red 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 hot as a heel at this point a great match to open up the uh, the title tournament. You know, it is a great match, and we were lucky enough to have
0: Mr. DiBiase on this show uh, a few weeks back, and he talked about this event, and he talked about the different opponents he had and the different styles they had, and now the WWF did a nice job of building up Ted DiBiase going into this pay-per-view, and so as a fan, as much as you hated DiBiase at the time, you knew that he was going to do well in this tournament. And so while I loved Jim Duggan as a kid, I really didn't have much, much hope that Jim Duggan was going to be able to, to beat DiBiase in round one. Uh, and, and, of course, he didn't. Ted DiBiase goes on, uh, like you said, to beat Jim Duggan. But what a, what a contrast in styles between these two wrestlers. And so it's a unique matchup. Um, and I'm happy that Duggan was part of the tournament. But, yeah, DiBiase was definitely going over.
1: Jay, before we, we, we go further into this, and, and I, off the air, I told you mine, who was your favorite to, to win this tournament before the tournament actually started? As a kid, who, do you, who were you rooting for, and who did you think was the win, if it was the same answer or a different answer?
0: You know, obviously, uh, I am a huge Hulkamaniac, and so as a kid, I lived and died by Hulk Hogan. And so I thought that for sure it was going to be Hulk Hogan, and if it wasn't Hulk Hogan, It was for sure going to be Andre the Giant and some kind of screw job to Hogan at the end to continue that feud. So those are my two guys um, who didn't make it past one match, either of them. But why don't you share with the listeners? You told me off (laughs) air, but you had a unique pick
1: uh, for the winner of this WrestleMania four tournament. Yes, I did, and uh, I don't know. Actually, you know, as 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 the show started, uh, we started doing the show. It, it came back to me why I picked this person. I'm going to tell you why here on on the on the show. I actually was rooting for and hoping that Don Morocco was going to win the WrestleMania Four uh, title tournament, and I told you this before, right before we started taping this, and then I started thinking to myself, why. Why did I pick him? Why, I'm trying to think why did I think he was a win? Why did I pick him? And I remember now, uh, we actually, as, as a kid, uh, when I used to go to the Meadowlands Arena in East Rutherford, New Jersey, we were sitting next to, and I don't remember exactly who it was As a kid. I have to ask my mom. Maybe she would remember. Uh, we were sitting next to someone that was related to Don Morocco. I don't know if it was his mom. It might have been his mom. It was somebody. It was somebody though, because at this point, Don Morocco actually lived in New Jersey. A lot of the guys lived up this way because you know they, the majority of their stuff was up this way. And I don't know what happened. And my mom actually wound up giving the the lady, which I believe was I don't know, know it was mom or it was a family or someone. uh, She gave her the our address, and they were going to send us a autographed picture of Don Morocco. And sure enough, a couple of weeks later, we got one in the mail. So I always thought it was so cool as a kid that I got a autographed picture of Don Morocco. And uh, I think maybe that's why I was rooting for him to uh, win the uh, win the title tournament. You
0: know, that makes sense, Tommy, because if he wins that tournament, the the value of that photo goes through the roof. And so you were just <laughs> looking for that investment to pay off. That's a smart, smart businessman, even back then, Tommy. Yeah, man. And now I'll,
1: now I'll just the, the go off subject for just one second. I remember also uh, as a kid at the Meadowlands Arena, one show I was sitting in an area where you, the side locker room of the of the building was there and some of the guys would walk out and, and, and peek their heads out and watch some of the, the matches that were going on and you were able to see some of the wrestlers doing that and I remember one time Shawn Michaels, when he was still with the Rockers, he came out and he was looking out and watching and I gave him my program, the insert, where, you know, they had the, the match lineup, the white sheet they gave out with the matches. And I remember him signing that for me as well. So uh, that was at that arena too. So I got an autograph there from Show Michaels one time.
0: Look at you, Tommy, meeting, rubbing elbows with all the, the big guys before they hit it mainstream.
1: That's awesome. Do you still have that autograph? Somewhere I do, yeah. Uh, I remember also the first time I ever met a wrestling personality – was after a show, my mom used to take me to William Patterson College in Wayne, New Jersey. I actually saw WrestleMania Four there on closed circuit uh, TV. Uh, after the show, there was a pizzeria, not WrestleMania IV, but a regular house show. There was a show, a uh, pizza place across the street from the, the college. So we went to the pizza place to get something to eat after the show. And Dick Rowley was in there. And I got an autograph of Dick Rowley, the referee. That was the first time I ever met anyone. It was pretty cool.
0: That is very cool. Yeah. Anytime you can meet someone as a kid, when you meet somebody that's involved in wrestling, if it's somebody you've seen on TV or just somebody you know is involved in the industry, it's kind of an out-of-body experience. It's weird meeting those type of people for the first time, uh, but very cool. And it sounds like your mom was all about taking you places to, to get you in, in the mix with these guys, which is a good job for Mommy Fiero.
1: <laughs> yeah, man. So, uh, I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to get off topic there, but I think that's why I picked Don Morocco. Uh, I was trying to remember why I picked him, but uh, Don Morocco actually was up next against Dino Bravo, and he won by disqualification in four minutes and 54 seconds, which would lead to the next round, which would be DiBiase and Morocco, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Next up was Ricky Steamboat against Greg Valentine. Greg Valentine wins this in nine minutes, 11 seconds, this one I was pretty. Uh, this one I was pretty shocked by. Steamboat just came off the previous year's WrestleMania uh, in one of the marquee matches against Randy Savage. Uh, this time he loses in the first round against Greg Valentine. That has to be considered a, a shock. You know, I think it. I think it is a shock. I
0: think uh, because if you would look at it, Greg Valentine then goes on to face Savage in the quarterfinals, and so you wonder. Did they think about having a Steamboat Savage return match? Did they think it couldn't live up to the previous year? You just kind of wonder what goes into the decision-making. But I'll say that Greg Valentine, uh, he might be one of those guys that if I ask Tommy, is he overrated, underrated, you might say that he's a little bit underrated as a performer because I think – I think a lot of people get hung up on the fact that maybe he lacked a little bit of that personality that makes somebody a a superstar. But when it came to in-ring stuff, Greg Valentine could go, and he was a great wrestler. And so to see him paired up against Steamboat, they had nine minutes, which in this tournament is a long match. I think the next longest match is the finals match. And so to have the second longest match uh, in the card, or excuse me, Jake Roberts and Rude looks like they go longer, but Valentine Steamboat, good matchup as far as in-ring technicians. But as a kid, I definitely thought Steamboat was going over. So, in your opinion, Tommy, where does Greg Valentine land? Is he underrated as a performer now,
1: looking oh, back? I I definitely think so, man. I definitely think so. I think he was a great performer, and I think that he's he's uh, one of those. You know, I had this conversation with someone yesterday. Um, these '80s stars, man, like they're just they're just iconic. They're timeless. Uh, you know, Hacksaw Jim Duggan, Sgt. Slaughter, Ted DiBiase, Jake the Snake Roberts, Brutus Beefcake, Greg Valentine. These, these names are just iconic and, you know, they they stand the test of time. It, it, there's, a, there's a reason why, you know, it's, it's, you know, 35 years later and we're doing a podcast about 80s wrestling. It's because these guys and these characters were just such larger than life entertainers and performers. And, and Greg Valentine definitely fits into that uh, mix of guys that you're just never going to forget. Greg the Hammer Valentine. When you hear 80s wrestling, you cannot not think of Greg the Hammer Valentine. He was one of those names that, you know, was always around. And like you said, he had the L.G.N. figures. He had the Hasbro figures. You know, I mean, he's just he's just an iconic name. So, yeah, I think you, you bring up a good point, Jay. I think that if you're looking at the grand scheme of things, I, I do think he is – underrated because he's one of those household names that everyone that ever followed wrestling will remember from 30, 40 years ago. There's no question about it. If you, if you interview, you know, a thousand wrestling fans and and they all watch wrestling from that time frame, all thousand fans are going to remember who, you know, break the hammer is, There's no question. No question, which brings us to the next
0: match on the card, which has the man of the hour, Randy Savage going up against Butch Reed. Randy Savage has Miss Elizabeth in his corner. Butch Reed is accompanied by the doctor of style, Slick. This one goes four minutes, nine seconds, and sees Randy Savage pinning Butch
1: Reed. Any memories of this match, Tommy? Yeah, man. I, I First of all, the, the first thing I think of when I remember Randy Savage in this tournament is how cool it was that every round he came out with a different you know, different robe and Elizabeth came out with a different outfit on. Uh, it was really cool. And and I, I love, and I, t- I know we talked about this in the past when, when uh, Butch Reed passed away. I loved Butch Reed in WWF. He's you're talking about underrated. He was underrated. He was someone that I, lo- I loved his work. I loved his character. I, I loved Slick with him. And, and a quick shameless plug, we're actually doing a virtual signing with Slick on September the 20th and uh, photos are available now on 80swrestlingcon.com. You can pick a photo out now uh, for Slick, and he'll sign it for you and give you a shout-out. But I, I loved look how quickly I did that and, and made it. <laughs> was, um, but, yeah, I, I love the fact that he wore a different robe every, uh, every match and how Elizabeth wore a different outfit. And I think that Butch Reed, you know, Savage has to go through has to go through a, a ton of different people here to get to that final. I think that he was a a good uh, choice, a good fit for the first round.
0: I agree. I love Butch Reed. I love his working style. I love his presentation, and I think it was a good opening match for Randy Savage. It's not somebody who posed a huge threat to Randy Savage, but it was somebody who. You know, could have got an upset win over Savage. Could have pulled something off, especially with Slick on the side there. So it wasn't a a gimme by any means. And so it's a great way to start Randy Savage's trip towards the championship match here.
1: Absolutely, I I definitely agree. And and again, I think that Butcher Reed was uh, very underrated as well. Next up was a battle of the big boys. We saw Bam Bam Bigelow take on the One Man Gang. This is a quick one, Jay. Two minutes, 56 seconds, and One Man Gang wins by uh, countout. This, uh, this is an interesting one, man. It was a really quick match. Bandman was pretty popular as a babyface at the time. One Man Gang wins this one quickly. One Man Gang, man, is another one that uh, I know most people you know, will remember him as you know, Akeem, the African Dream, but I love the One Man Gang. I loved his character, man. So did I. And I, it was, a, it was a weird
0: transition from one man game uh, gang to Akeem for sure. And Akeem has his winning qualities too. I mean, he has his plays oh, I love the that. 80s wrestling. Yeah. But as the one man gang, big guy, intimidating looking guy, scary looking guy, but for his size, very agile in the ring and could do some things. And so Yeah, I think that character, especially in the the history of the World Wrestling Federation, is underrated. Um, Like you said, I think more people identify him as a team than his run as the one-man gang. But great character, big man. And Bam Bam Bigelow, like you said, he's over at this time in his career. He's another big guy who's super agile and can do things in the ring that guys of his weight, his stature, shouldn't be able to do. And so this is just, like you said, two big boys colliding and in this instance, one-man game goes over. You know, Bam Bam's a Jersey boy, you know. Absolutely, he's a Jersey boy. He's from your neck of the woods. I'm guessing that the legacy of Bam Bam is still alive and well in New Jersey.
1: I actually had Bam Bam on two of my shows in the past. One was a convention I had him at. And one time I had him against head shrinker Samu on on the show. It was pretty cool, Matt. Sam Moo against Bam Bam.
0: You know, you could talk, we could have a show about Bam Bam's career because he's been involved in some iconic matches, um, some iconic feuds. And yeah, he's a, he's another, uh, he, he's so big, so intimidating, so mean looking, but such a great worker when he stepped inside the ring that he's really enjoyable to watch.
1: Yeah, he might be someone we might have to cover in full length in the future episode because we could talk about his, you know, WrestleMania main event against Lawrence Taylor. There's a lot to talk about Bam Bam and, uh yeah, maybe we can do that in the future. But One Minute Gang wins this one by uh, count countout, 2 minutes, 56 seconds. The uh, the final match of the opening uh, round of the tournament sees a draw, 15-minute time limit draw. Jake the Snake Roberts against Rick Rude. There's a lot, a lot of storyline behind this one.
0: This is one of those, we always talk about storytelling and how to have a long, drawn-out story, well-thought-out. So you can have a big payoff at the end. And the feud between Jake Roberts and Ravishing Rick Rude is a perfect example of when WWF did storytelling right, and they set it up, and they made people want to watch. And then the fact that these two guys have such a heated feud that they go the time limit draw, they go the distance in this match. No one is able to get the upper hand and finish the other one off,
1: which just adds to that storytelling, Tommy. Yeah, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So that was the first round of the tournament. The next round is Hulk Hogan uh, opening up the second round against Andre the Giant. It's a double disqualification, which means that whoever wins the next match gets a bye right to the finals of the tournament. But Hogan and Andre rematch WrestleMania 3. This this was the match that was the big selling point of uh, WrestleMania 4, definitely. You know, I think after WrestleMania 3, after seeing Hulk Hogan slam
0: Andre the Giant, and really it's the first time that we've seen Andre the Giant get pinned, you know, take a clean loss in the middle of the ring, and this catapults Hulk Hogan's status and Hulkamania to even greater heights. Like coming out of WrestleMania 3, the world knew who Hulk Hogan was if they didn't already. You know, his face is everywhere. He's all over the place. And so what do you do to follow up what many consider to be the greatest one-on-one, like hyped match in the history of WrestleMania is you get them back together and you do it again the following year. And so, like you said, this is the match that probably sold the pay-per-view. People were interested in seeing Hogan versus Andre, the rematch, um, what what are your thoughts on this match compared to their their match the previous year, Tommy? Where does this line up in in a in a matchup between two iconic people in your mind?
1: Uh, I mean, it, it wasn't WrestleMania three, you know, and uh, nothing was gonna, ever ever going to top that. And you know, this was mixed in with a, a you know a tournament, which means that you know that while the while the spotlight is on them, because you know that was the selling point was to see those guys collide again. You know, it got it got, you know, in my opinion, a little bit lost in the shuffle with the whole grand the whole grand scheme of the title tournament itself. Um, you know, I would have loved to have seen just Hogan and Andre in a rematch without 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 any tournament. You know, they could have built it up for a year again. You know, Andre could have said, you know, you got lucky, blah blah blah. They they could have they could have done whatever to Or even when they did the, the referee, uh when they did the, the twin referees and they screwed him out of the title, they could have, you know, made the title vacant and then had, you know, Hogan and Andre at WrestleMania four to determine who the champion was going to be. They could have did that as well. That would have been awesome. So I, I think that Hogan and Andre in a, in a singles match with no tournament involved as a, you know, rematch from WrestleMania three could have, could have been even a bigger selling point for the the WrestleMania four card itself than the actual tournament itself. You know what I'm saying?
0: I hear what you're saying. And I'm thinking, you know, Andre, he's on the decline health-wise after WrestleMania three. And so maybe they just didn't have the belief in his abilities at this point. But like you said, if they would have spent an entire year following WrestleMania three with the buildup with furthering the storyline and the main event, the main event of WrestleMania four is Hogan versus Andre, the rematch. I think that that would have drawn I think that would have drawn even bigger numbers than this one did. Cause I think like you said, people were interested, no doubt in seeing the return match. People were no doubt interested in seeing Hogan Andre, the return, but it wasn't the main event. It wasn't the end all say all match. It wasn't winner of this goes home with the strap. It was part of the tournament. Like you said, interest was definitely there. It falls short of their match at WrestleMania three for sure. Like I said, Andre's on the decline here. It didn't have the, the buildup. It didn't have the, the weight of the championship like WrestleMania three did. But still, anytime you see Andre and Hogan in the ring together, it's a good day. And so I'm happy that they had the return match. But like you said, it wasn't the focal point. And, so, and they didn't,
1: the match itself didn't
0: run like it was the focal point like it did the previous year.
1: Yeah, yeah. Ne- next up was Teddy Biasi and Don Morocco, which saw Teddy Biasi win this in five minutes, thirty-five seconds. Which means that Teddy Biasi gets a a, a a pass right to the finals because with Hogan and Andre being eliminated, Biasi moves right to the final round. Uh, there goes my chances of Don Morocco becoming the WWF champion. So what's that, What's a young Tommy doing at this
0: point when he sees his his guy Morocco get pinned? Do you immediately move on and pick somebody else that's left in the tournament, or do you kind of go, "Oh, I'm out"?
1: I think, and, and I, I can't remember because I was such, I was just a little kid. But I think once Savage, you know, started going against, you know, one against Butch I, I started, you know, I started to get behind Savage as well. But I think everybody, uh, I don't want to say it was programmed because that's another thing I want to bring up real quick too. Is back then it was so easy for WWF and wrestling in general the program their fans for the majority of, of the of the part to like and react to what they wanted you to like and react to uh, back then there was no internet back then there was no you know dirt sheets back then you know you weren't able to find out what's going to happen in the the weeks and months leading up to storylines and angles they just had such a good job they were such a machine a well-oiled machine they were able to you know, decide which direction they wanted the fans to go in, and who to who to get behind, who not to get behind, who to cheer for, and who to boo for. Uh, and uh, I, I think you know, I don't want. I I think that everyone got behind Randy Savage as the matches were going on. Like once he got past the first round, then the second round, and then you're really behind him at this point because you know they just did such a good job back then of. of, of steering the direction they wanted you to go in does that make sense
0: it does make sense and like you said it might be the lack of social media it might be the lack of insider information at this time but you're right you would buy what they were selling and if they were pushing a guy you would get behind that person if if they were showing you somebody on the screen who they wanted you to boo as a villain you'd end up hating that person i remember very distinctly That the only time I went against the grain as a kid was with Mr. Perfect. He was a heel wrestler, but I absolutely loved him. And people would, would boo him as he came to the ring, but I absolutely loved watching him because he was that entertaining and that good in the ring. But you're right. If the World Wrestling Federation wanted you to cheer Randy Savage, they had a way of making it happen. Now, I will say, in this tournament, the one thing that I absolutely love that they did was there was two buys in this tournament. One because of the Hogan-Andre DQ and one because of the Roberts-Rude draw. Both of those buys went to heel wrestlers. So in this tournament, no good guy got a rest. No good guy got to take a round off, which I think is excellent storytelling. Because of course, Hogan and Andre getting a double DQ results in Ted DiBiase, who is heavily intertwined in that storyline. He gets a break in the semifinals right before the championship. So I think that's excellent storytelling as well.
1: That was an excellent point, by the way, Jay. I, I, that's a great point by you. And you're, and you're right. It, it was. So, yeah, I think once Morocco got eliminated, I was already in my head wanting Randy Savage to win anyway. And uh, he was up next and in, in, in defeats Greg Valentine in six minutes, seven seconds, which uh, brings Savage to the semifinals against a one-man gang because the one man gang got a bye in the previous round when Jake Roberts and Rick Rude went to a uh, draw. So now we're now we're in the now we're in the semifinals and and DiBiase gets a bye was right to the finals because Hogan and Ajay went to a double DQ. So now it's determined who is going to wrestle in the finals for the WWF World Heavyweight Title. We have Randy Savage against a one-man gang. Like you just mentioned, gang is fresh off a of bye. Savage has wrestled you know, tough back-to-back matches with Butch Reed and Greg Valentine. So you're questioning, can the Savage still have enough in the tank to defeat the one-man gang, who is ginormous compared to the Savage and is much fresher than, than Savage is. And Savage wins this match by disqualification. Four minutes, five seconds. Are you surprised by the DQ finish here leading to the finals? Or do you think maybe, you know, maybe the company thought that one man gang, since he's such a big massive heel could be a future opponent for Randy Savage. So they didn't want to, you know, uh, hurt that by having him lose clean to Randy Savage here. It's like, I got to go back and I got to
0: watch to see what the announcers say, because I haven't watched this pay-per-view in a long time. But as a kid, I remember my thoughts were, well, one-man gang can be bought by Ted DiBiase. Savage probably can't be. And I don't remember if that's something the announcers put in our, put in our mind at that time. But I remember thinking, one-man gang's a villain. Ted DiBiase is a villain. There's a good chance that the money can get to one-man gang and he can be bought. And then the championship will go to Ted DiBiase. So I remember really rooting for Macho Man just for the sake that the title would have a true winner and not a bought and paid for championship like the Million Dollar Man had tried to do before on that unforgettable main event uh, episode. And so I was really rooting for Savage here. Do you remember, did did the announcers put something like that in our mind or is that just me as a young kid thinking about Ted DiBiase's dirty deeds?
1: No, yeah, I I think – got so so long ago, I think that I might have thought the same thing, man. So, uh, yeah, Savage wins by DQ. Now we're going into the finals. We're going to pause on that for a minute before we get to the final match uh, and, and, and talk about the rest of the show for WrestleMania Four outside of the tournament. Uh, the Ultimate Warrior was in a singles match. This is his first WrestleMania, Jay, and he defeats Hercules, with Bobby the Brain Heenan in 4 minutes, 29 seconds. What do you remember as a kid seeing the Ultimate Warrior in his first WrestleMania?
0: Well, I remember, you know, the Ultimate Warrior, obviously his physique. Uh, he's an incredible character, but his vis- vis- physique at this time, you know, he's a powerhouse. And Hercules is known for his strength as well. And so I love that it was kind of a matchup of power versus power. Obviously, at this point in his career, the Ultimate Warrior not ready to be a main player in the tournament bracket. They could have thrown him into the Battle Royal to start the match, but I love they didn't do that. They gave him kind of his own moment to shine here as he goes up against and defeats Hercules.
1: I'm, I'm just trying to remember. I know that Ultimate Warrior debuted in 1987. Let me. I'm just trying to see when he – oh, he, he debuted in June – of 1987 as, as a Dingo warrior on uh house shows. So he, he didn't really, he was, sorry, he's been in June. Uh, he defeated several jobbers over the months or saying, and then his first, looks like his first like program or the first match against bigger guys was uh, against Rick Root in December '87. And uh, yeah, it looks like Hercules was his first really uh, angle that he had. So Warrior really didn't have that much uh, experience in time in the WWF at that time leading into his first uh, WrestleMania because, you know, he was doing pretty much, you know, enhancement matches with, with, with guys for a while and really wasn't in any programs or or feud. So uh, this was You know, pretty much, you know, I don't want to say rookie Ultimate Warrior, but it it kind of was because uh, this was really like his first, you know, marquee match.
0: It was. It was his first kind of big stage performance. And so nothing real spectacular about the match. Um, We didn't even see his finisher in this match, but he gets a nice little spot on the card. You get that nice image of him at the end of the match. Where he grabs Hercules' chain and he's standing in the middle of the ring and he swings it around his head. And so it's just kind of a nice image of his character
1: in his first big pay per view match. Yeah, I remember that as well. That's that's probably what stands out most to me in that match was him, you know, with Hercules chain at the end. So yeah. yeah. So yeah, talk about talk about a uh this is a really you go look back on this, Jay, this is really a uh a very historical pay per Wrestlemania for it's the it's the show where they turn Bret Hart baby face and it's the show that Ultimate Warrior has his first marquee uh, match on that's that's a lot of history there man it is I know
0: at the time I mean this is a long Wrestlemania for the time I think it goes four hours or something around <laughs> 16, there 16, 16 matches man Yeah, it's a long, and so to sit and watch it all would take a long time, but if you're a fan of 80s wrestling, like you said, there's some history here, and there's some some matches that maybe at the time you really didn't take appreciation for, but as you go back now and see these things, yeah, it means a little bit more to you when you have some perspective, and so um, it's tough to follow WrestleMania 3. So it probably did not get the acclaim that it deserved at the time, but as a, is a point in history. This is a big one.
1: Yeah. And talk about history as well. Demolition uh, captured the tag team titles, defeating strike Strikeforce uh, in, at, at this WrestleMania as well. So, I mean, that's another, you know, historical moment. Uh, this, 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 looking back on it now, now that we're reviewing this, this is a lot of history in this show. You have Bret Hart, baby face turn, Ultimate Warrior's first marquee match, Demolition win the tag titles. Randy Savage winning his first world title. I mean, there's a lot, a lot of stuff there, man. A lot of stuff. Uh, another non-tournament match as well was Brutus Beefcake defeating the Honky Tonk Man uh, by disqualification. Uh, this was for the Intercontinental title. I thought for sure that uh, Brutus was going to win the Intercontinental title uh, going into this match as a kid.
0: I would have loved to have seen Brutus our Beefcake come away with the championship. Uh, title here in this match. Beefcake was just one of those characters that as a child, it captured your imagination. You loved everything about it. Honky Tonk Man, another classic character. Like these two, the, the gimmicks that these two guys had were amazing for the time, and you loved both of them. You loved to hate Honky Tonk Man, and you loved to cheer for Brutus the Barber Beefcake, and you would have loved to see it. Brutus slap on that sleeper hold put honky to sleep capture the title cut his hair like it would have been an amazing way to to transfer that icy title but
1: not meant to be yeah and again we we talked about this many times in the past on, on the podcast I, I think Brutus never got his just due uh, for what a, a major part of that WWF Golden Era that he played one of the top babyfaces throughout that era, and uh, he he's someone that you know technically he's not Dean Malenko obviously, he's someone in my opinion that is grossly uh, underrated as far as his contributions uh, to the product at that time.
0: You could even talk about that SummerSlam event with Zeus from the No Holds Barred movie. They needed another top babyface to team up with Hogan, and they chose Beefcake. I think people forget that Beefcake was a top babyface in the company. He was somebody that people were interested in seeing. It was somebody the company could trust to have a good match with just about anybody on any spot of the card. I think some of the things that go against him, uh, unfortunately, that accident that, that really sidelined him when he ended up hitting his face, and that parasailing accident, that really took him out of action for a long time. And then as you hear other wrestlers give interviews and talk, unfortunately, it sounds like his friendship with Hogan might have, might have held him back. Or some people think he got advantages that maybe he didn't deserve. But from an in-ring performance standpoint, as a fan, when you watch him, he's definitely one of the guys that always produced and always did what he could with his spot on the card. And so I would agree underrated for his ability
1: and his contributions to the business at this time. And the other non-tournament match was a six-man tag team attraction that saw the Islanders, Haku and Tama teaming up with Bobby the brain Heenan that we just talked about last week's episode about <laughs> how special it was when Bobby Heenan would get in there and wrestle. And obviously he's put in a situation here where he's featured in a WrestleMania match. Teaming with the Islanders against the British Bulldogs and Coco Beware. Uh, It was a fun six-man tag. And uh, let's talk quickly about some of the celebrity involvement in this show as well, Jay. Uh, Vanna White was there. And obviously, you know, Will of Fortune is red hot at the time. And and Vanna is obviously red hot as well. Uh, She was there. Bob Euchre, Mr. Baseball, was there. And Robin Leach was there, Jay. Robin Leach, the lifestyles of the rich and famous.
0: Those those names that you just mentioned, I don't know if you could name better '80s celebrities for that time period uh, than those three individuals.
1: And this is are the you, time are you, and again. Are you are you laughing at my Robin Lee impersonation?
0: No, it was dead on, man. It was dead on. <laughs> kind of like Bushwhacker uh, Luke, right? Exactly. Like you could take those two uh, impressions on the road for sure. Those <laughs> those are great. Um, no, I'm actually just thinking. It's insane to think, like you said, uh, Vanna White um, was huge at the time because Wheel of Fortune was huge at the mm. time. Like, she's still on that show. Like, I know. show is she still great. Yeah, it's insane. It's like uh, that show has been kind of kept in a time capsule because she has not seemed to age, and that show is still as enjoyable now as it was then. But, yeah, the Robin Leach, the uh, Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous show, what, is, what a time that was in the 80s. Um, to have that show on. And then, of course, they did the, the Ted DiBiase uh, segment with him. And uh, just an amazing time. Just, it brings a smile to your face when you think of how 80s this actually is as you
1: look back. Yeah, man. And uh, that will lead us to the uh, the finals of the WrestleMania 4 Tournament to the Crown, a new World Wrestling Federation champion. It's the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase against Randy Machaman Savage. And Randy Savage goes on to capture the World Wrestling Federation heavyweight title. I mean, you talk about iconic moments, man. You go back as a fan of 80s wrestling and and think about, you know, some of the the top three or four or five moments ever in 80s wrestling. The ending of WrestleMania 4, where Miss Elizabeth is on Savage's shoulder, holding the title, crying. Paul Kogan in the ring celebrating with matcha man, man, you don't, you can't get outside of Paul Kogan body, Sam and Andre at WrestleMania three. You really can't get a bigger moment than the ending of WrestleMania four, in my opinion. The thing I love about eighties wrestling is
0: they had a way to have these feel good moments. Like you said, these endings, these feel good moments where they end the show on such a high note that as a fan you walk away thinking, this is the greatest thing ever. Uh, and this is definitely one of those moments. They did it right. First, you have, you know, the storyline is great. You have DiBiase, who's a fresh man, because he's got, you know, the last round off. You got Savage, who came through these grueling matches. He's, he's tired. He's worn down. Uh, and then when DiBiase comes out, you have Andre the Giant at ringside. So the odds clearly stacked against Savage, and you think there's no way... And then who comes to sit on the ring side of the Savage side of the ring? Who comes to be the great equalizer and help the match be fair? None other than Hulk Hogan. And so as a fan, yeah, you're all into this. You you think it's the greatest thing ever. And then when Savage ends up winning, like you said, that moment when Elizabeth is on the shoulder, tears are flying, it it doesn't feel more real than that moment. And so you leave this pay-per-view on such a high note that you just want to come back and see what what comes next in this saga.
1: Yeah, definitely, man. And, and and all all in all, what a what a one of my favorite WrestleManias, WrestleMania four. I loved, loved everything about it. Loved the entrance, like we talked about the the beginning of the show, and just love how the whole tournament played out. The story that they told, the odds stacked against the Macho Man, the heels getting the buys. Just every, it was just a fun 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 pay per view. And, and and as we made mention of, there's such significance behind this show where you know they turned you know Bret Hart. I mean, they turned they turned Nightheart with him as well and the Hart Foundation with baby faces. But this was a start of Bret Hart's you know baby face turn. The Ultimate Warrior's first big match. Demolition winning the tag titles. Macho Man capturing his first world title. So just a fun pay per view, and I'm sure. I know I'm going to, Jay, and I don't know about you, but I'm going to go back and watch this uh, show again and relive some of these moments we just talked about for the last hour or so. And I'm sure a lot of people, our listeners, will will do the same as well. Just a really, really fun uh, pay-per-view, iconic pay-per-view. And uh, I was happy to talk about it with you.
0: I as well, Tommy. It was a great, uh, great WrestleMania, like you said, iconic moment. And even at the end of this one, they're starting to plant the seeds for the mega powers. They're starting down the road that leads to WrestleMania five already at the end That's of this so main event. And so I love the planning. I love the storytelling. I love this, this pay-per-views place in the history of professional wrestling. Uh, four hour spectacular was a two VHS. If you remember VHS, this was a double VHS set, but of course now we can just go on, uh to the Peacock app and go to the WWE Network and we can kind of watch these matches
1: as we want to which is a fantastic thing to have available to us as fans. Yeah man, you know you know who w- one wrestler that wasn't on WrestleMania 4?
0: The Iron Sheik. The Iron Sheik was not at WrestleMania 4, you're correct. But uh you know who we do have here today? Yeah, well, <laughs> if he's willing. I mean, I don't we're want to gonna, upset him.
1: We're going to see about that, man, because the last couple of weeks have not gone well. And uh, I, I don't know, man. I tried to talk to him before we came on the air today. I said that you, you told him that you're a good friend of mine. I told him that, you know, you respect his career. You respect him. I, I don't know why you rub him the wrong way, Jay, but for some reason, Tommy Sheik just doesn't like you. I don't, you, I don't understand
0: you, why. You don't have to worry about that today because I have I have the perfect thing to talk to him about. You have your signing in just four short days as one of the greatest foreign wrestlers, Nikita Koloff. Uh, the Sheik's a foreign wrestler. Nikita's a foreign wrestler. I think we have common ground here. I think I think he'll have no problem with today's question. All
1: right, let me let me go see if I can get him. Sheik! Jumping J's on the on the phone from the 80s wrestling podcast all right he's he's coming he don't look he don't look too happy but he's coming
0: hello hello mr sheik hello mr sheik welcome back to 80s wrestling the podcast this is jumping jay how are you doing sir talk to me Papa. Okay, I, I just wanted to get your thoughts. We have what a lot of people consider to be the greatest foreign wrestler from, you know, Mother Russia, one of the strongest nations in the world during the 80s. We have Nick, Nikita Koloff coming on to do a virtual signing on Monday. In your opinion, is he the greatest foreign wrestler of all time? First of all, let's say hello to all the wrestling fans,
1: all around Then world. are the- shit. The- I am Rod Rusev for the Russian chop. I am the Olympic gold medalist. W W of We need Nikolai Volkov, Baba. The and uh, uh, yes, No Iron Sheik.
0: Yes, no argument from me. Every, everybody knows who you are, but we're talking about Nikita Kola. No more question.
1: Sheik, are you still there? No more question.
0: Do you have any thoughts no. on the fetus? Have a nice day, sir.
1: He's gone, man. I don't know what the hell. What? He didn't even answer
0: my question, Tommy.
1: Well, Jay, he hasn't answered your question in weeks, so.
0: <laughs> I don't. Maybe I don't know if it's a language barrier. I don't know what's going on, but I ask him a question and he says no more question.
1: <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Um, but yeah, man, we got, uh, we got Nikita Koloff this coming Monday. looking forward to it. Uh, he's going to be our next live virtual signing guest and you can head over to 80s dot com right now. You can select the photo that you'd like and then watch live this Monday. It'll be, uh, on our Facebook page and the link for our Facebook page is on our website and uh, Nikita will sign your photo for you, give you a shout out, and then we'll ship out the photos to you. After the signing, we got some big ones coming up in June, Jay. Uh, we have June 7th, the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky and Robert. Really looking forward to that one. And then uh, another tag team will join us on June 21st will be the Head Shrinkers, Samu and Fatu. And you'll have opportunity to get Rakishi signed photos as well. And then closing out June on June 28th will be Hello, ladies. Val Venus will uh, join us. So uh, a big month in June coming up. And we have three signings at the Wrestling Collector as well in June. On uh, The Wrestling Collector is our store located on Route 23 in Stockholm, New Jersey. We have uh, the Brooklyn Brawler going to be doing a live in-store appearance with us on June the 12th. The following Saturday, June 19th. We have Barry Horowitz doing an appearance at the store. And then on Sunday, June 27th, uh, Fred Ottman, who is Typhoon Tugboat Shockmaster, he'll be appearing there uh, on Sunday, June uh, 27th. So a lot of signings coming up for us in the month of June, Jay.
0: So when when it comes to the Wrestling Collector, are you going to have the Shockmaster kind of come through the back wall to the signing area, or is he just going to use the door?
1: Well, considering I, I spent a lot of money to redo the uh, store, <laughs> I surely hope he does not break any walls on the twenty seventh. You'll have to tell him just
0: just use the door this time. Don't uh, don't come crashing through the wall, <laughs> man. You your summer is heating up fast with all these big names, Tommy. I just can't keep up, my man. Man, that's insane, and I'm really looking forward to Monday with Nikita because this guy's story of how he got into wrestling and how he went all in on that Russian character. I'm excited to hear him tell some stories, give some shout-outs. He's another Minnesota guy, Tommy. I don't know if you yeah, know him, but, but yeah. we breed some, uh, some big-time 80s wrestlers up here in Minnesota.
1: Something tells me he'll, uh, he'll be a little bit more calmer than Kempatero was. <laughs> 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 ah. Jay, what do you got? What do you got planned this weekend? Anything good?
0: Well, you know, I got to get, uh, you know, spring is here. And so it's been a little rainy the last couple of days in Minnesota. So the grass she's greening up, she's starting to grow. And so I got some yard work on my to-do list. Uh, what's things like in New Jersey? How's the weather? What's going on?
1: Oh, it's it's like summer here right now, man. It was like almost 90 degrees yesterday. It's going to be in the 80s, the higher 80s today. Uh, just, uh Plugging along, man. Just going to the store, working the store, and uh, just trying to, uh, <laughs> just trying to go with the, just trying to drive the train. I'm riding right now, man. It's 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 a little overwhelming doing you know signings every week like we've been doing. This will be our third, this will be our third signing in a row for uh, Mondays. Go coming up this Monday, and then the following Monday we have off because it's Memorial Day then we have three Mondays again in in June uh you know i'm 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 a one man show so i i i not only process all the orders but i actually personally mail all the orders out so um you know I, I just get done or not even get done you know sending out all the orders and the next one's here already and when you do it every week it it, it becomes challenging but i'm just trying to uh keep Plugging along, man. That's all I can do. You know, I I, uh, I put all this stuff on my plate, and now I got to eat it, you know? And like Dusty Rhodes used to say, man, you're living on the end of a lightning bolt, brother. <laughs> yeah, you man. Gotta,
0: you got to go and when, when, you got to strike when the iron's hot. But as fans, we appreciate all the work you do behind the scenes because we know it's a lot. Uh, the post office is probably getting sick of seeing you each and every week with your boxes and boxes of photos to be mailed out. But we appreciate your work. And everyone that works behind the scenes. I know come Monday night there's lots of movement and lots of hustling going on. So pass from all the fans of your team, keep up the good work. We appreciate it.
1: Thank you so much, Jay. And you're and you're a big part of that as well. Jay actually handles the behind the scenes of 80s Wrestling Connie. He, he does the website and the graphics and everything. So this machine couldn't run as smooth as it did without you, man. So I appreciate you and all your contributions as well. And until next week, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Jay, I hope you and your family have a great weekend. And uh, we'll see you next week right here on 80s Wrestling, the podcast.
0: plus.